We are in a series right now for our sermons looking at each uh, phrase of the Apostles' Creed. Um, The Apostles' Creed is many centuries old and has been used um, to unite lots of different types of Christians coming from very different backgrounds and cultural moments. It sort of functions like a roadmap that helps us to map out some of the essential beliefs that are in the Bible. And so we've been unpacking that in recent weeks. This morning we're looking at the phrase near the end of the Apostles' Creed that says that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at to, to understand that more this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at verses 4 through 10. And you can find that passage uh, printed in your bulletin or in a Bible if you have one. Uh, let me read for us 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Oh, how we need to hear from you. That's what we need most. And so, Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through the word this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I wonder if you think about Christian community, uh, particularly within the context of a church, Christian community, what are your expectations for Christian community? Um, As you think about finding a church and building community and relationships within that community, what do you expect that to be like? Two common pitfalls as we think about our expectations of church community. The first one would be this. Is um, the pitfall of the person who is on the hunt for the perfect community. Uh, This would be the the hunt for the perfect community pitfall. Um, The second one would be the person who is either um, so cynical about community in the local church. Or afraid of being in community in the local church. That it just feels too impossible or too scary. So this would be the I'm not even trying pitfall. Because it's either too scary or too impossible to build community. Um, In in the first camp, those on the hunt for perfect community, um, they will often have a kind of over-idealized hopes and expectations for how a particular community will meet their personal needs. Um, The worship music will be exactly to their liking. Always. Um, The preaching will always encourage and never offend. Or only offend in the way that they want to be offended. Uh, Relationships in the church will be completely fulfilling. And will rarely if ever involve any conflict. 
or challenge or rebuke. Um, Often those on the hunt for perfect community might jump from community to community as their expectation is not met. In one place they will move on disappointed looking for the next. Um, So the the hunt for the perfect community pitfall um, is often those with kind of an idealized dream of what community ought to be like. And here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in his book, Life Together. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Let me say that one more time. It's an important quote. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Um, here's the problem with the hunt for the perfect community. It does not exist. Uh, So therefore, those that bring the expectation of that can actually destroy the community that does exist because of misguided expectations. Um, I've quoted the authors of Rooted, a book on the Apostles' Creed, multiple times in this series. Here's the way they put it. Quote, Do you know the best way to wreck a church? Go in with the expectation that everyone will do everything right. No one will hurt you. No one will step on your toes. Believe that worship will always be to your liking and that everyone will always be friendly. You will be terribly disappointed and grow bitter. Um, I used to really love getting new shoes as a kid. And I would anticipate and just build up in my mind this expectation of how great it's going to be when I can finally get a new pair of shoes. And I would start thinking about the kind that I wanted. And we would go to the mall and we would go to Foot Locker usually... And, you know, you try them on and you look at them in like the little weird shoe mirror that's kind of slanted at an angle and, you, and it's just so exciting. And then you buy them and you take them home and I would kind of like put them basically on like a little shrine, in my, like a shoe shrine in my room. Maybe put them on the box or up on my desk so I could see them. And I would go to bed the night before I would wear the new shoes to school the next day, almost with butterflies in my stomach, so excited about finally getting to wear these new shoes the next day. It was almost like this euphoric shoe wearing experience the first day breaking out the new kicks at school but then inevitably often within days I would start to get bored with the new shoes and they would start to feel a little disappointing um, that they just were not as great as I expected them to be Um, and, and maybe it's not shoes for you if you can't relate to new shoe excitement just think of the last time you upgraded your iPhone and how excited you were about the new iteration of the iPhone and how quickly that wore off. But, but, but the shoes, the phone, eventually they're going to disappoint us and so we move on to the next. This first pitfall, um, crushing expectations for Christian community, this hunt for perfect community, um, the reality is it's never going to live up to our perfect expectations. Second pitfall would be the opposite. Um, community is too impossible Or too scary. So this is the I'm not even trying. I'm not even going to try pitfall. Maybe this is a person who's been burned by past experiences. um, In close relationships. Especially within a church community. In the past. Um, Maybe it's someone who feels kind of chronically out of place. Like they don't fit in. Um, Maybe it's someone who is just really scared to open themselves up. To be vulnerable in relationship. And there's kind of a fear of intimacy and being known. and, And they just don't want anything to do with that. On a church wide basis. Um, For this person, faith in Jesus can turn into um, just kind of me and Jesus in this this one-on-one relationship, sort of outside of the people of God and outside of the church. 
Um, the problem with this pitfall is that living in Christian community is a non-negotiable in the Bible. Um, there's no category in the Bible for the loner Christian. Um, you have to be in community. So I wonder which kind of pitfall you lean more towards. Um, but what if, uh, rather than having um, either over-idealized expectations of what community should be, or on the other end of the spectrum being completely cynical or afraid of community, um, what if we embraced living in community as beautiful and difficult and essential? Um, if we're going to do that, here's how the text is going to lead us in that direction. Two headings to think about this morning. The first is this. We need to see that we play an essential role in the life of the church. And secondly, Jesus plays the essential role in the life of the church. So first... If we're going to embrace living in community as beautiful and difficult and essential, we first have to see that we, you and I, play an essential role in the life of the church. Okay, a few questions about our role. First question, who are we as the church? Look at verse 5 in our passage this morning. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Okay, so Peter tells us that we are like living stones that actually build the walls of the church and that we're a holy priesthood. Then look down at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Um, if you spent some time maybe reading parts of the Old Testament, some of that language might sound familiar because Peter is taking those terms directly out of the Old Testament. Those were phrases that were used for the Old Testament people of God, Israel, to refer to them. And Peter is now taking them out of the Old Testament and applying them to the New Testament church. Um, listen to Exodus chapter 19. This is right before God gives his people the Ten Commandments. It says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountains, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, uh, and tell the people Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's back in Exodus 19. Peter picks up on those terms in verse 9, and he says that we're a chosen race. Um, this is telling us that in Jesus, believing in Jesus, it gives us a new and different fundamental identity. As we think about ourselves, our identity, who we are fundamentally, um, first and foremost is that we are a son or daughter of God. Um, a follower of Jesus before we are anything else. And that is a really big claim in our identity-obsessed culture. Um, listen to how Karen Jobes describes this in her commentary on 1 Peter. She says, Peter here makes the radical claim that those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, Cappadocian, Bithynian, or whatever, though from many races constitute a new race of those who have been born again into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, here's what this means for you. Uh, because of your faith in Jesus, your strongest bond your closest connection um, is now with other followers of Jesus. More so than any other common bond that you might share with other people in different categories. The family of God is now closer to you than your own flesh and blood. 
Um, Next, Peter says that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Those are all different terms getting at our set-apartness as God's people, that we are set apart. The Bible word for that is holy. means to be set apart. God calls us to himself. He justifies us. He adopts us as sons and daughters. And now we have a new family identity with God's people as set apart, as holy for God and for the world. Um, What we're saying when we confess in the creed that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, um, we're saying that we believe in this set apart universal worldwide church. Um, It doesn't mean Catholic as in Roman Catholic Church. It means Catholic as in universal. The authors of Rooted again help us here. They say um, in saying the church is Catholic we are affirming that the church's message is valid and relevant in every age in every situation and in every culture. So this is the that's the set apart family that we are entering into. Um, One that even connects us to people in very different contexts other than the one that we're in. Again Karen Jobes puts it this way she says Coming to Christ means coming into relationship with others. Um, Not only in one's own generation, but also being united with believers of every generation who likewise have been built into God's grand building project. Peter assures them that they have become part of a much grander and everlasting community. So maybe you're here and you're just kind of considering the claims of Christianity. Maybe you're not even really sure where you're at with your faith. You just got invited, and so you're here listening. Um, But if you are considering giving your life to Jesus and following him, um, you are not just entering into a me and Jesus relationship. You absolutely are. Um, But you are entering into family life with everyone you see around you. Um, And not just in this room, but you're entering into family life with brothers and sisters around the globe in South Africa and South America and Turkey and Japan and and you name it, all around the globe. And not even just with people all around the globe right now, but you're entering into a family with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers that span generations. Uh, Those who have trusted Christ for salvation before us and those who will come after us. That is the family that you're entering into. And Peter says in verse 10, once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. This is who we are as a church. Next question, what's our role? What's our role in the church? What's the way of life of this set-apart family that God has created? Uh, First, we worship. Look at verse 5. We are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So we gather together regularly for worship. And we worship outside of here with all of our lives. We worship. Secondly, we witness We witness, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, The set-apartness of God's people, it leads us to live in a certain way, a way that is in contrast or different from the watching world. Um, So our lives are to be marked by worship, both what we're doing here, but also outside of this with our primary allegiance being to God and not just living for ourselves or for the things of this world. So it's in our worship, but also in our witness, where where we actually model this set-apartness by how we live, by how we tell others about the good news of Jesus, the one who brought us from the darkness into the light. Um, And if we pause here for a moment, this can really press in on us if we let it. 
Um, it's, it's pretty easy to say that we are Christians um, or that we're church-going people. In our kind of immediate context, it will likely only gain you credibility and network and sympathy if you say you're a church-going person or you're a Christian, um, regardless of what your life looks like outside um, of Sunday mornings. Um, but where it really begins to, to stand out is our Monday through Saturday lives actually looking distinctly different from that of the world? Um, does it actually look like we're living for a different kingdom? Um, for so many of us, Monday through Saturday, our lives look almost identical to those who don't believe. And that's a very convicting thing for me to think about personally, whether it's how we do relationships or handle our finances or our priorities or manage our schedules and our time and our busyness and our phones or maybe the language that we use. Uh, but our role in God's church is to worship and to witness. And true faith in Jesus is always going to show itself in a transforming life. Always. And so if our lives do not show any signs of this transforming going on, then we need to ask, maybe we don't really believe. Do we really believe? Okay, so we're living stones, being built up into a spiritual house. And living in community is beautiful. It's also really difficult. Let's ask the question, why is it so difficult to do life in the church? The answer is Genesis chapter 3. Um, in the garden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They chose to do life their way rather than God's way. And that sin that entered the story there is inside of every one of us. Um, now every sin, or every human has sinned uh, and rebelled against God. And that sin has ruined everything. There's not one area of ourselves or our lives that sin has not touched in some form or fashion. And now that means that it affects how we live together in community with each other. One summer in college, I worked in lawn care. So we literally spent our um, entire day mowing grass and weed eating and blowing and cleaning up and driving to the next house and doing it over and over and over. And the man that I worked for was, um, he was only really successful when we did uh, as many jobs as possible. And we worked very efficiently and all the equipment worked properly. Um, one day I was in a rush and the weed eater I was using ran out of gas and so I went back to the trailer behind the truck and I opened the thing up and grabbed a can of gas and I poured it in there and then I went to start it and it kind of started but then it sputtered out and then it wouldn't start at all and so I had to go get him and say hey something's wrong with this. He looked at it very quickly. He's like hey, you put the wrong gas in. Two kinds of gas. There's, there's like the pure gasoline or whatever. Clearly I don't know. You shouldn't trust me to do this. There's like the regular gasoline, then there's the mix where you add in the oil with the gas. I put the wrong thing in there. And he's like, yeah, the weeder's not going to work. You put the wrong gas inside. We got to go buy a new one. It just wouldn't work like it's supposed to when the wrong thing is inside of it. Um, with sin inside of us, we do not work like we're supposed to. It affects every part of our lives, including how we share life in community with each other. The reality of our sin means living in community, in a real church community like ours, is going to be difficult. Uh, we are going to hurt others and be hurt by others. We are going to offend and be offended. Um, we will disappoint others and we will be disappointed by others. And if you haven't experienced this yet, you will. Um, and this can be really tough, especially with a new church. Because 
Um, the draw to a new church is often this formation of a new tight-knit community. Um, and for the first number of months in, the involve, in your involvement in a new church, it kind of delivers. It kind of feels like you finally found it. Uh, but then after enough time together, our sin starts to show. It shows in how we relate. And in that, in that situation, oh, how tempting it is to go find a community where maybe that won't be the case. But sin makes life together in community really difficult. But if we're going to embrace living in community as beautiful and difficult and essential, and essential, we need to see that we play an essential role in the life of the church. But also we need to see, second big heading today, that Jesus plays the essential role in the life of the church. What is his essential role? Look at verse 4. It says that he is a, quote, living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Um, What is his essential role? Jesus is the living cornerstone of the church. Um, The cornerstone is the first stone that would be set for a building. And all the other stones will be set based on how that stone is positioned. Um, It is the most important, most foundational stone in the entire building. Everything else is built according to the cornerstone. Uh, My first job out of college was in home building. And I used to love watching the brick masons brick a house. They were so skilled at their craft and they could do it so quickly. Uh, But one of the slowest and most important parts of bricking a house is at the very beginning where they would use a plumb line or a piece of string that was tied uh, from the top of the framing at the roof down to the ground and they would measure it out to where it was completely straight and they would use that uh, plumb line to set the first row of bricks for the house. And if that plumb line was straight and the first row of bricks was straight, that means their walls would be straight as long as they kept it in line with that plumb line. But if the plumb line was off or the first row of bricks was off, everything else would be off. Um, How that wall started, how that first brick was laid was essential for the entire wall. Jesus is that cornerstone. The most important stone for the spiritual house that God is building. And he is the one on whom the church is founded. And guess what? He's perfect. Jesus is perfect. He is a perfect foundation. A perfect and lasting cornerstone for the church. And our text says that Jesus can function as the cornerstone or that he can be a stumbling block. So it invites the question, how can we be built on this cornerstone? Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Uh, This is saying that not everyone will be a living stone built on the cornerstone. That for some, this cornerstone will be security and stability, meaning salvation and eternal life. Uh, For others, though, the cornerstone will be a rock that they trip over, meaning that they don't believe. And there is this mysterious paradox that's given here that is both, they're both destined by God and is because their disobedience, their willful rejection of Jesus. God destined it to be so and they disobeyed the word, as the passage says. 
And that's really something to get your mind around, those two things being true. And actually, we can't tie it up like we would like to. So maybe the better train of thought, the better question to ask is, have I centered my life on Jesus, the cornerstone? The text tells us how to do this, if that's a question that you're asking. Look at the end of verse 10. It says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, You can build your life on the cornerstone by receiving mercy. Um, And do you see there that that it's not about your goodness? Christianity is not about your behavior, not about you earning your way up to God, uh, proving yourself worthy. If that was the case, we would all fail. Being a Christian, being a part of the people of God, the spiritual house that God is building is about receiving mercy. Peter's actually quoting here from the minor prophet Hosea where the Israelites are said to have been unfaithful to the Lord, that they have strayed from them and given themselves wholly to other gods. This is saying then that if when we run away from God, when we do awful things with our lives and our bodies, completely giving ourselves to the things of this world, that's when God shows us his mercy. That he does not treat us as our sins deserve. How can you do that? How is that possible? Because we were not treated as our sins deserve because Jesus was treated as our sins deserved. Um, he on the cross absorbed all of it so that we can now receive God's mercy. And so to build your life on the cornerstone is, by, is to receive the mercy of God. And all the talk about life together in community, it's really a non-starter unless you first build your life on the cornerstone. Because once you're connected to the cornerstone, then you're connected to all the other living stones. And here's what this means. This grace of Jesus, this mercy of Jesus, the cornerstone, makes life together possible. Um, He absorbed our sin and has forgiven us. How can we then not absorb the sins of others and forgive them? If this is really true, um, the church could become the only community that doesn't hold grudges. That really forgives each other because we have every resource in Christ to do so. Um, Think back to those two pitfalls that we started with. The first one. Um, If you are someone who is on the hunt for perfect community. um, And brings maybe an over-idealized expectation into community. um, According to this text, you have to account for both your own sin and for the sins of others. As factors that are guaranteed to make life together very messy and difficult. You just have to account for that. Um, Meaning we should not be surprised by our own sin or the sins of others in the community. Rather, we need to embrace it as a given in our life together. And then look to Jesus who gives us grace so that we might show and receive grace with each other. Second pitfall, if you're someone who thinks that community is just impossible. It's either too scary or you feel too cynical about it. Um, You have to reckon with the fact that we can't follow Jesus without it. Listen to the authors of Rooted again. They say, it's easy to rip on the church with its warts and flaws and quirks. And quite honestly, we have zero interest in defending everything about the church. But despite its problems, though, you cannot give up on the church. Jesus is the only person who has the right to give up on it, and he hasn't. Uh, Jesus has not given up on his church. 
And so who are we to do so? A few practical steps uh, or thoughts as we think about living in community as the church. Or maybe um, kind of uh, taking your own pulse to say like, where, where am I in uh, living in community, this communion of saints, living as this holy Catholic church that the creed talks about? Um, here's what I would say how you might move forward in that. Four quick things. First, jump in. Jump in. Uh, we try to create opportunities as a church for, um, we can't make relationships happen, but we try to create spaces and opportunities where they can begin to form. And so neighborhood groups are essential. Jump in a neighborhood group. Jump in a small group Bible study. Uh, jump into one of the fellowship events that we're doing. Um, don't wait. There's not a better time to do it. It's not going to get easier. Jump in. That's the first thing. Secondly, be patient. Be patient. Um, I think back to when I was doing college ministry and it was inevitable towards the end of the spring semester of their, their freshman year, I would get students that would come to me and say, you know, Jonathan, I'm, I'm just, I'm really struggling. Thinking about transfer, I just haven't, I haven't made any friends yet. I haven't really like, I don't feel connected to my friends. I feel like everyone else has friends and I don't. I hear this from almost everybody and I would say, you know, you're just coming out of a context of basically 18 years of being in the same community, kind of growing up with your friends and now you spent about seven months around these people. You just got to be patient. Relationships take time. And sure enough, they would come back for their sophomore year and their junior year and realize towards the end, oh, I've, I've got my people. So that's the word to us is jump in, but be patient. Real relationships take time. Um, think months and years rather than days and weeks. Third, make it a priority. Um, to really live in community with God's people, you're going to have to cut other things out of your schedule. Relationships are incredibly time-consuming in a beautiful way, but they're time-consuming. Uh, what will you cut out in order to make space for living in community? Make it a priority. That's the third thing. Fourth thing, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Your dining room table is maybe the best place to build community. You have meals there. Invite one or two others to join you around the table. And start using that as a, as a vehicle that, that builds community. Um, your morning walk is a great place to build friendship. Um, what, what, what is in your regular routine in your life that you can invite one or two others along to start building community? Jump in. Be patient. Make it a priority. Don't overthink it. Uh, when we confess in the creed that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, we are confessing that life together is beautiful and difficult and essential. And it all begins by coming to the one who made it all possible. So won't you build your life on the cornerstone today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news that, that it, it's, it's not just us individually and you, but it is us with your people journeying together in you. We could not do this alone. And we long for community. So Father, I pray that you would meet us in this, that you would grow um, beautiful and difficult and essential community in our midst, in the life of your people here. And that we would be those who have received the grace and mercy of Jesus and are quick to extend it to one another. 
Uh, Would you bring this about in our midst as we look to your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.